0: Good morning. It's great to be back with you today. Thank you for having me. If you didn't vote, um, you're stuck with me, but uh, grateful to be here with you all. If you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. We're going to be in a passage here looking at the identity of the Son of God. And I think it is so important for us to make sure we know who Jesus is. Amen. Amen and the Jesus of the Bible, rather than the Jesus of the culture. There's a difference. And uh, I remember when I was in seminary, we, uh, I lived in Montrose, California, and the, the apartment buildings that Sally and I lived in were owned by a member of Grace Community Church, and he kept the rent very low, and it was comprised of all seminary students or teachers who taught at Grace Community School. And that was kind of his ministry. We had really low rent. When we told people what we paid, they couldn't believe how low our rent was. But it was full of seminary students. And so whenever the Mormons came around to our apartment complex, they had no idea. And uh, they would come to my door. I would talk to them a little bit. And then I would peek through the window, just kind of watching as they would go from door to door. And I remember. Rick McLean, who is on staff at Grace Community Church, he works with special needs in that uh, uh, ministry there. And I remember him opening his door, not letting them in, but just kind of interrupting their presentation. And just saying, hey, there's part of me that appreciates what you guys do, but I want to tell you this. You better get Jesus right. You better make sure you know who Jesus is. And so I think that's important for all of us. And this is a great passage here in the Gospel of John that really identifies for us who Jesus is as the Son of God. And so, if you would look with me, John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 29 to 34. John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day, he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Well, back in February of 2013, we had the incredible privilege of having Allison Felix at our church in Brownsburg when I was the pastor there. She had come in to speak at the Central Indiana FCA banquet. I was a board member for, for FCA at that time, and, and she was also gracious to come to our church and, and spend a few minutes uh, speaking, giving her testimony there. My connection was her dad, Paul Felix, was my Greek professor when I was at the Master's Seminary. And I had the incredible opportunity of introducing Allison to our church. At that time, she was one of the fastest sprinters in the world. She had set numerous records. She had won state and national titles, and she had won numerous world championships. And she had just won three gold medals in the Olympics in London in 2012, In 2017, she came to Annapolis to speak at the Naval Academy to our FCA, and I got to introduce her to our uh, FCA huddle and to our men's and women's track and cross-country teams. And at that time, she was the most decorated female track and field athlete of all time. She is now the most decorated Olympic track and field athlete of all time, male or female. And that was a great honor for me to have her in our church and to have her at Navy FCA to introduce her to our church and to our huddle and to some of the teams at the Naval Academy. But can you imagine what it must have been like for John the Baptist, who had the incredible and unimaginable opportunity of introducing the Lord Jesus Christ to those who were gathered around the Jordan River to introduce him to Israel And really to introduce him to the world as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, today we have an incredible opportunity to look at this wonderful passage of Scripture and see the identity of the Lamb of God, the identity of the Son of God. And before we look at the identity of the Lamb of God, I want to first take a few minutes and look at the person and the ministry of John the Baptist And so we see that, of course, that John was the forerunner to the Messiah. John, or John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, if you go back to verses 6 through 8 of John's gospel here in chapter 1, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about. The light. Drop down to verse 15. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Continuing in verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to them, "To him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. In verse 23, John says, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. That was John's role. You know what I love about John? He knew his role. He understood his role. And he knew that he was just a voice. In Isaiah chapter 40, as John references here, he says, As Isaiah the prophet said, he was referencing Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 4, we know that Isaiah wrote 700 years before the coming of John and before the coming of Jesus. And we read these familiar words there. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, Clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. And so the voice mentioned here in Isaiah 40, specifically in verse 3, is the voice of John the Baptist. The language language of verses 3 to 4 has in view the ancient Near East custom of sending representatives ahead to prepare the way for the coming of of a visit of a monarch. So to prepare the way for the coming of a king. And that is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. Preparing the way for the Messiah. Preparing the way for King Jesus. Who came the first time to manifest the glory of God, to die for the sins of those who would trust in him, and of course, raise victoriously from the dead. And so now, as we think about the identity of the Son of God, we first see here that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. In verse 29, we read that the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was a prophet, right? He was a prophet. He was not the prophet. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the first prophet to speak for over 400 years. Generations had come and gone without hearing from God, right? God had not spoken through the prophets and now this man burst onto the scene and begins preparing the way for the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. His mission was to prepare the way for Jesus. His coming was the fulfillment of prophecy, as we see in Isaiah 40. But the coming of Jesus was also a fulfillment of prophecy. God God the Father would have spoken to John and revealed to him that Jesus was the Messiah, that this was him. And that would cause John to say, behold, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is what the Messiah would come and do. He would take away the sins of his people. He would remove the sins of those who would place their faith and trust in him alone. We know that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could not do this, right? We read in Hebrews 10 verses 1 to 4, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins." But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But there was coming a lamb, the lamb of God, a perfect and spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish. Again, we read from the prophet Isaiah, very familiar words in Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 7. That he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. The coming of Jesus was a fulfillment of prophecy. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Messiah. He is the God-man. And in John chapter 1 verse 14, John the Apostle writes that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah and the other prophets said that the Messiah would come, and he came. John prepared for the the way, for the coming of Jesus, and Jesus came. And Jesus said he would come again. The angel told the disciples, who were standing there in Jerusalem, that Jesus would come again. John the Apostle tells us that Jesus is coming again. Paul the Apostle tells us that Jesus will come again. Marshall referenced these verses earlier, but 1 Thessalonians four sixteen to 17 Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Jesus is a fulfillment of prophecy. The next thing we see here is that Jesus is the forgiver of the sins of the world. He is the forgiver of Of the sins of the world. And this comes from John's statement here in verse 29, where he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that is what Jesus does. Amen? Praise God. He takes away our sin, He removes our sin. Psalm 103, what a beautiful psalm. In verses 2 to 3. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jeremiah thirty one, thirty four: they will not teach again, each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Is that because God is forgetful? Oh, I just I can't remember. You sinned? No, it's because he's gracious. He is merciful. First Peter 2.24 and Peter writing about Jesus saying, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. We are coming up on the 10th anniversary of that horrible school shooting in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. December fourteenth, two 2012, where 26 people were killed. 20 of them were children between the ages of 6 and 7. It was horrendous. It makes us sick to our stomach to think about it. And if we have forgotten about it, we will be reminded again in just a few weeks as those images will once again be flashed on our television screens. It was evil personified. It was evil manifested to the highest degree. And we are in absolute shock when something like this happens. I remember the first major school shooting in Colorado, Columbine High School. I was in seminary at that time and watching that on television for many hours. Or Uvalde, Texas. Or even in Greenwood, Indiana, right? And in Connecticut. But at the same time, we are not that surprised as believers in Christ because we have an understanding of the depravity of man. And the sinfulness of sin. Jeremiah seventeen nine says... The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And when you understand that and understand that we are not good, that we are dead in our sins, that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, it may surprise us that things like this don't happen even more often. And that is a credit to the restraining hand of God and his common grace. Friends, we have all sinned. We have all missed the mark. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned against God. We have mocked his holiness. We have committed treason against the most high God. We are deserving only of death and an eternity in hell. We deserve no less than what these brutal killers deserve. For we have all broken God's law. But Jesus is the forgiver of sin. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And John here is not teaching a universal salvation that God will just overlook all sin and everyone will be saved. John is saying here that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Men and women, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, and all who confess their sins and repent and turn to Christ and Christ alone will be forgiven of their sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, 5 says, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 1 John 1, 9, we know this one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Getting to be up here and to preach I have this vantage point where I'm looking at a room full of sinners this morning. Liars, murderers, adulterers but you are looking back at a sinful preacher and pastor right? All of you are looking at me right now. That's intimidating. I would say I'm the chief of sinners, but Paul already took that title. I can't have it. I heard Pastor Tommy Nelson one time. He's the pastor of Denton Bible Church near Dallas, Texas. He's been there for many years. He said this, if you knew what God knows about me, you wouldn't come here. But he said, but if we, meaning the elders, knew about you what God knows about you, we wouldn't let you in. But I'm also looking at a room full of saints this morning. Holy ones. Those who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who have been covered by the righteousness of Christ. And so, friend, I would just say, does that include you this morning? Have you placed your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? He is your only hope. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. The next thing we see as we look at the identity of the Son of God, we see that he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of all creation. Look at verse 30. John says, This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a greater or higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Well, how could John say something like this? It wasn't true. We all know the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth and the conception of John and the birth of John the Baptist and the fact that he was six months older than Jesus. How could John say such a thing as he says in verse 30, that he existed before me? We know that John was a prophet and prophets only spoke for God, always spoke for God. And he was a prophet who always spoke the truth. How could he say this? Well, he could say it because it was true. When Jesus was born, it was not the first time that he had ever lived. It was the first time that God had become a man. Friends, Jesus has always been. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was not created. He is eternal. And he has always existed. That is what I love about the Gospel of John. John wastes no time In those opening verses, right? To tell us that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is God. He has always been. Well, we're nearing the month of October and that means that Christmas is coming soon. That also means that Christmas music is coming soon. And let the debates begin on when it's okay to start playing Christmas music. But one hymn I love so much is the hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful. Because it's doctrinal. I read in that we read in that that song, that hymn. Here are some great words: True God of true God, light from light, eternal. Lo, he shuns not from the virgin's womb. Son of the Father, begotten not created. And again, here in John 1, the beginning verses in verses 1 and 2: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning of all beginnings, Jesus was. I remember trying to come to an understanding of that as a boy and not being able to, and my head would hurt, right? That's something, this is something we cannot fully comprehend because everything in our world, everything that we know and experience has a beginning. But God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He has always been The word has always been, and when the word left heaven, he put on flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. God incarnate, God with a body. And that's what verse 14 is about when John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was begotten, he was not made. Jesus was begotten, he was not created. And John understood this to a degree, and I think like us, accepted it by faith, and proclaimed that when Jesus came into the world, this may have been the first time that his feet touched the earth, but this was not the first time that Jesus had ever lived. And John says here, he has a higher rank than I, He existed before me. If you think back to Isaiah 9, and again, as we think about Christmas and some of these verses come to mind, Isaiah 9, 6, this prophecy that a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Friends, we are all going to die, right? Marshall reminded us of that. No one's going to go home today, man. Wow, what a great day. Marshall and Kirby, they both told us we're going to die. Like you're not going to send that out and call your friends and tell them the good news, right? But it is a reality. It is destined that man die once and after that comes the judgment. None of us know when we are going to die. When those parents put those children on the bus on that Friday morning in Sandy Hook, Connecticut... Or drop them off at school, they had no idea that they would never see them alive again. Life is a vapor. It is here today, it is gone tomorrow. And and that would cause James, the brother of Jesus, to write these words in James four, thirteen to fourteen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Friend, do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to know that you will go to heaven when you die? Do you want to know that you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain? Then place your faith in the eternal one, the everlasting father, the alpha and the omega, The beginning and the end, the Lord of all creation. The next thing we see here as we look at the identity of the Son of God, he is the favorite of the Father. He is the favorite of the Father. Look at verses 31 to 32. John says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. John the Baptist had a very special role, a very distinct role, a very specific role. And he did not pave the way for Muhammad or for Buddha or for anyone else. He prepared for the way for the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not send his spirit down on Muhammad or on Buddha or any other prophet. He sent his spirit down on Christ, his son, his beloved son, his favored one. If you would, go to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to spend a couple minutes here. Matthew chapter 3, beginning down in verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see another instance of this in Matthew 17 when Jesus is transfigured before those three disciples We read in verse 5 in Matthew 17 that while he was still speaking, Peter was still talking. I love that. A bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Friends, the father does not say this about anyone else. Because only Jesus is God. Only Jesus is eternal. Only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the one with whom God is well pleased. And so, friend, if you're here today and you are trusting in yourself, in your own righteousness, in religion, in your own works, your own efforts... Let me just say with all love, stop. And place your faith and trust in Christ. and Christ alone. And God will be pleased with you. He will be pleased with you not because of your efforts or because of your work. But because he will no longer see your sin. But will only see the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. The next thing we see here. As we look at the identity of the Son of God, he is the fire and spirit baptizer. The fire and spirit baptizer. Keep your finger there in Matthew 3, but back in John chapter 1, verse 33, it says, John says, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in water. The Holy Spirit. So again, back in Matthew chapter 3 here, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 11, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Beloved, I think we see here that there are two types of baptism from Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and a baptism of fire. Every person who has ever lived will receive one or the other, and I believe that with all of my heart. The baptism of fire is a baptism of judgment. You'll notice that we don't sing songs asking God to send down fire upon us. For that would be asking for his judgment. No, we sing songs about his mercy, his love, his grace. We sing songs about his Holy Spirit. That's what we want to come down on us. Look at verse 12 of Matthew 3. John says... His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his weed into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Those who reject Christ and his finished work on the cross, his atoning death in the place of sinners will be baptized by fire and they will face his justice. They will bow down before him. They will confess one day that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And they will then be condemned to an eternity in hell. A place that is absent from the love and mercy and common grace of God. It is a place described as outer darkness. A place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where the worm does not die. Where the fire is not quenched. Where there is absolutely no relief. But only suffering forever and ever. But those who receive Christ, those who repent of their sins and place their faith in Him and Him alone, and are justified or are made righteous, will receive His holy Spirit, and will be granted everlasting life." I love the words of Paul in Ephesians 1:13 to 14. "In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So again, friend, if you are here today and you are apart from Christ, you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's not too late for you. But it may be too late next Sunday or tomorrow or later this evening. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow or the next day. And so trust him today. I love John 5, 24. Such a great verse in scripture. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death unto life. I love that we can know the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, God's compassion for us as sinners. I'm so thankful I'll never know anything about his wrath or his justice because we are only under his mercy. Finally, as we look at the identity of the Son of God, we see that Jesus is the full and exact representation of the Father. He is the full and exact representation of the Father. Back in John chapter 1, verse 34, John says, I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the firstborn of all creation. He was begotten, not created, He is eternal, he has always been, and sonship means equality. In John chapter 5, we see this beautiful story of this paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, and he is at the pool of Bethesda, and he is trying to get into the water because every time the water is stirred, there was this belief that if you got into the pool first, you would be healed, and this man could not get to the pool because of his infirmities. And there was no one there to place him into the water. And Jesus comes to see this man with intention. And he heals him and he happens to heal him on the Sabbath day. And that we read there in John 5 that the Jews were seeking to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath day. And Jesus just stirs it up even more. In verse 17, Jesus says... My father is working until now, and I myself am working. And then we read, for this reason, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know what I love about that is? Jesus doesn't backtrack. He doesn't say, hey, wait a minute, guys, you got me all wrong. You misunderstood what I had to say there. In fact, later in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 10, in verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews knew exactly what he meant because we read in verse 31 that they picked up stones to stone him. I've had conversations with Mormons. I've had conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm sure there are many of you who have done the same. And you know, whenever, whenever I talk to them, I try to get right to the heart of the matter. Who do you believe Jesus is and how are you justified before a holy God? That saves a lot of time, right? But I remember talking to these Jehovah's Witnesses that had come to my in-law's house in Ohio and I, I turned to John 10 and I said, um, look at what it says here in verse 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. He's saying we're the same. If you've, seen, if you've seen the father, you've seen me. And they said, oh, no, that's not what that means. They, they have an answer for everything, right? And they said, no, has anyone ever said to you, you know, Kirby, you are the spitting image of your father. You look just like your dad. That's what they were saying. And I said, well, what happened in verse 31? Because after Jesus says, I and the father are one, they picked up stones to stone him, to kill him, because he was claiming to be equal with God. But whenever Jesus did this, he was only telling the truth. He was the son of God, he was God incarnate, he was God with a body. He was the God man. 100% God, 100% man, truly God, truly man. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 says, "God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus is the name above all names. His name is the only name, as we learned in Acts 4, given among men by which we must be saved. So friends, this is the Jesus of Scripture. This is the Lamb of God. This is the Jesus that the world needs to hear about. This is the lamb that can and will take away the sins of everyone who believes, who entrusts their self to him, no matter where they have been and no matter what they have done. This is the Jesus that the people of the world need, and this is the Jesus that you and I need. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is the forgiver of the sins of the world. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the favorite of the Father. He is the fire and spirit baptizer. And he is the full and exact representation of the Father. He is our only hope. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only truth that will lead to eternal life. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so trust him today. And if you are here, like I would think most of us are, If he has forgiven you of all of your sins, worship him today. Live for him. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul and mind and strength. And then go make him known to the world around you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for John the Apostle and I thank you for John the Baptist. And their different ministries, Lord, as John the Baptist was the one who would clear the way, prepare the way to introduce the Messiah to the world. As he came out of the wilderness, a strange man, a radical man, but was so faithful to deflect and to constantly say, I am not the Christ. And to point others to Jesus alone. Lord, what an amazing opportunity he had to introduce Jesus really to the world by saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. Lord, for we know that only God can forgive sin as We read in Isaiah 43 that I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. Only God can forgive sin, and Jesus is God, and he is the one who can forgive us and restore us to a right relationship with a holy God. Lord, thank you that we can know you and grow in our relationship with you and be conformed to the image of your Son. And God, I thank you that we can make you known to the world around us. And Lord, I pray we would be faithful in doing so. That God, we would pray for opportunities to declare the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would look for those opportunities that you are opening doors for us to proclaim the good news. And God, that when they come, we would seize them and, and open our mouths and be faithful servants of you. Lord, how good it is to know that our sin is forgiven, that we're bound for heaven, that the best is yet to come. And so we thank you, we bless you, and may our lives be a reflection of that praise unto you as we live for you all of our days until you come again. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.